Hello and welcome to Attention to Detail, the podcast for Days fans, by Days fans, as we hold on for dear life aboard the roller coaster ride that is barracking for the Melbourne Football Club. This episode is proudly brought to you by our sponsors, Hop In Brewing and Valley Electrical Group. My name is Tim, and as always, each and every week, I'm joined by my co-host Simo. Mate, how are we doing? Mate, it's I'm going all right actually. It's uh, we had our first day back at school, and yeah, thank God it was a curriculum day. Uh, I don't know how you got through the day with uh, with the kids. How about you, mate? How was the, how was the day? And how are you feeling right now? Because uh, there's a bit there's a bit riding on it. It's a bit like last year when we lost to the doggies. It's that sort of feeling. You just you know, people was jumping on board other teams for labeling them as premiership favorites and sort of just putting the D's away. What are you thinking? Yeah, it's a interesting. Oh, well, it's, I suppose yeah, good to be back at school and yeah, having having a nice break over the holidays. But back to the footy, it's 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 a tough one. I think you called it last week about the similarities between this game and the Bulldogs game last year. Uh, you know, I noticed that you're pretty active on the socials about that as well too, saying it's it's very similar circumstances. And so we're sitting what now, twelve and five, and twelve and four. 12 and 4, is it? There you go. 12 and 4. And we're still in an incredible shape for the rest of the season. We've got a pretty tough draw and it's going to be really telling these next few weeks. But yeah, it was a what an epic game it was. So much hype and so much build up. And we kind of got to see, I mean, Geelong down at their home ground, bit of an advantage at that point. But it was, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it, was, it was an epic battle. It was an epic battle. But I'm, I'm not shaking. I'm not worried. All I can say is it should have been the G. What's this cattery business? There's about 20,000 people there. Get it at the G, you see 50,000, 60,000, blockbuster. And then, you know, we could be seeing a different result if that was the case. But look, to be honest, I mean, credit to Geelong, they were incredible. Um, just the way they swarmed and the way they kept the ball away from us was pretty, yeah. I mean, not a lot of sides have done that to us in the past, in the past couple of years. I mean, obviously, you know, Frio Sydney put the clamps on pretty well, but Geelong bet us at our own game and... They smashed the territory, clearance, and, you know, even with our Ruckman back, I mean, you know, the question is, were they right to come back or, you know, were they just going through the motions? Um, but, look, to be honest, I think that would be just better for the run. But, yeah, I, I just want to, as I, as I posted on socials, I just want to have another crack at them at the G because, I mean, if that's the case, then it's going to be when it counts. Um, obviously, we don't play them again in the regular season. So, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be red hot come finals time if we get a crack at those boys. Definitely. Definitely, I think, yeah, you're right. They sort of matched us, especially in the midfield. And I think that was one of the big things leading up to it was the epic midfield battle. You know, Petrarca, Oliver, Viney and Gorn against, yeah, Selwood, Dangerfield, um, Guthrie. Uh, who am I missing? Um, Atkins played a ripper job. And I think the real adjustment came after halftime. I think we, we started off pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I think the first, well, besides the first 10 seconds when Stengel miss, misses at point blank, we then kicked two pretty quick goals, and I think that passage of play, the Petrarca first goal, was like out and out. That's Dee's footy. Like Petrarca, I think, getting the clearance, getting it out to Neil Bullen, who got, or to Jackson, to Neil Bullen, and then back to Petrarca to finish on about 55 on foot. Like that is, that's where teams look most dangerous. That's where we look like playing Dee's footy. And both teams, at, you know, it was a game that really kind of ebbed and flowed in terms of skill level, but when teams were able to get into transition, and mainly Geelong made us pay with turnovers, but they just looked extremely dangerous. And it was, uh, yeah, uh, look, at the end of the day, you look at a couple of those stats that they clearly beat us around with. To be still within a kick five, six minutes into the last quarter was was probably credit to us as well. So the, the fact that our game can hold up that much when we're, uh, when we're down from that. I think that's all about the system we play. And I think obviously our system thrives on pressure and, <clears throat> when we're able to pressure and get that quick you know, transition from defense to offense, I think we're able to really exploit sides. And the problem is if our pressure's not there, we're going to get some pretty low-level inside 50s because teams have a chance to get back and stop the way we play. I mean, a lot, a few of the times it's kind of like chaos footy. I mean, as long as our big men get there to bring it to ground, you've got front and center, you've got Cozzy, you've got Sparks, the, the likes, you know, getting, getting at their feet. But obviously if it's... You know, the slow build-ups, I mean, teams are able to set up and intercept like what De Koning was able to do and, yeah, players like that. Yeah, and we got caught blasting away a few times as well too. Uh, yeah, forward line again. Topic of discussion that I'm sure that we'll touch on later on. But uh, quickly, a couple of things in the news before we look at the game. So I think the biggest thing out of the week and, and really is Clayton Oliver's injury. Unfortunately, he copped a 
a nice uh, big boot to to the thumb, courtesy of Joel Selwood, and yeah, a small fracture there. So had surgery on it, and fingers crossed that worst case he misses the Port game. Uh, best case scenario with the eight day break, he's a chance to return. So yeah, a bit a bit of a uh, concern there, given how prolific he's been for us. But if anything, you know. Track probably spends a bit more time in the middle. We've got the likes of Sparrow. Maybe Dunstan comes back in to replace him. And we've got a bit of depth there that can hopefully cover us for the Port game if that's the case as well. Yeah, 100% agree. And look, I think I was telling you when, when the incident happened, I was like, gee, I hate Joel Selwood. Like, I haven't been a huge... Like, I mean, obviously, all he's ducking and, you know, getting those free kicks, etc. But this is just, you know, this is just typifying him. Just... I hate the hate the fact the way it happened. I just was so triggered at home. The dog got scared. It was just yeah. it was not good. I yeah. don't I don't like him either. Don't don't get me wrong. I, I got absolutely no love for him whatsoever. It was interesting to see that he played the least amount of game time for Geelong on the weekend as well. It was like sixty three percent game time, and he probably I think noticeably was absent from quite a few of those centre bounces as well. Yeah, must be due to old age or something like that. But yeah. <laughs> It's good not seeing him out there, and hopefully, yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully we don't have to compend with his dog axe like that again uh, down the track. Yeah. Um, let's touch on VFL too. It, I remember t- I was telling you, I'm like, are you watching the footy? Like, VFL, the VFL side were dominating early at the Cattery, and it just turned to shit. Like, they were, I think it was six goals or five goals, five goals, seven, or six, one, 37 to three a quarter time, and then we just lost our way up until the last quarter, and then... To go on to, to now, I mean, obviously down there at the Cattery, I mean, it's, any win there is a good win. And Casey now 14-0, and 0, obviously the depth is showing. Um, Bailey Laurie was a standout. Um, I don't think he's far off a debut. Had the 29-3, the and three, I think, you know, it's going to be hard for them to look past him. Obviously, Dunson was good again with the clearances as well as the 29. Another bloke which I raved about in preseason, that was Van, Van Royen. It's not Van Royen or Ruin. It's Van Royen. Which is yeah, he. I just listened to one of those sixty-second things, so yeah, he pumped that one out. But gee, it'd be good to see him debut. But the problem is, is obviously key position player. It's nineteen, like it's it's a hard one. Do you still hold him back in the twos and really help him develop that way, or yeah, is it time? Because obviously Benny Brown, Wiedemann, they're not firing. Don't have T Mac. I mean, do we need something fresh? Do we need a kid that's just going to come in and give hundred percent effort? I mean, not like the others don't, but just. Just something different going forward. Yeah, it's an interesting point. You think back to last year. I mean, Bowie's a clear example of somebody fitting straight in who, yeah, like spent some time developing in his first year of the VFL and then and hasn't missed a game since. So it, it certainly, from probably some perspectives, could be a bit of a, a fresh look at, at our forward line. And it's something that, yeah, has been on constant discussion on roundtable talks <laughs> from media to fans, everything like that. And and Thursday night, unfortunately, was another example of, of how, yeah, dysfunctional it's probably looking at the moment. And at this point last season, you know, you had Benny Brown come in around about 11 Round about yeah, rounds eleven or twelve or so, and yeah. we sort of really built some consistency throughout that. And I think at this point last year, it wasn't wasn't like where we're sort of sitting. So there certainly needs to be a change there. I think Laurie could be a good chance for me. Like with Bedford, unfortunately having a quiet couple of weeks. As much as that, I'd love to see him in there. Like Laurie could be somebody. Spargo has had a really interesting couple of weeks as well too. And I think he could be somebody who barely went near the ball on Thursday night. Is, is he just a chance for a rest? Because I don't think you're resting any of our other small forwards in that sense. So, so like Laurie kicked two goals in the last quarter when I think from when we were 10 points down in the VFL and, and really was the match winner. So, yeah, as you said, some pretty pretty uh, impressive stuff. Uh, but come selection time on Thursday, I'm sure, or Wednesday night, Thursday night, whatever it is, for for uh, a Sunday Arvo game this week. For some reason, I had in my head it was a nighttime game. Probably because we're used to it. I think normally <laughs> when we do go to Alice Springs, it is played at night time. Yeah. So seeing it during the day, it's going to be a little bit different. I mean, is it going to be a bit warmer? Um, often you find, you know, it's quite dewy at night time yeah. in Alice. Like it's going to be, you know, you probably see players with, you know, their, their armbands on, the sweatbands and things and all the uh, all the fans going, the misty fans. <laughs> but um, no, great for footy to be back in Alice Springs. It's always, it's always a place where, I mean, it's... Yeah, we've been a bit hit and miss in Alice Springs recently, but 
yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we go against a port side who are pushing to try and make the eight, and they're only a game out, which is this making it a dangerous danger game. So, yeah, on to the news as well. I mean, Disco Turner was able to get a further two years onto his contract, which was you know great news. Obviously, you know, showcasing what he was able to do, being picked up in the mid-season draft last year, and then you know being able to play the game against the Pies. And look, I honestly think if he stayed on the ground, I reckon we'll be show to try and win that game. So yeah, I mean, he's another one of those defenders which you know can play a role um, to be suited with um, our other key tools there. So yeah, well on Disco and another big one, Luke Jackson. Where do you sit on Luke Jackson? Because it's going to be bloody interesting to see what's going to happen with him. I mean, there's been a bit of talk around him chatting with Frio mates or talking about or with his Perth friends. Like, what's going to happen there? What do you reckon? Yeah, I don't know. It's, hmm. I think the longer it drags on, the more you probably your faith starts to waver a little bit. I think it's, yeah, the more and more these sort of things start to creep out, generally, nine times out of ten, when these sort of rumours start to sort of fly out, not not many of them are wrong. Um, and, yeah, it would be a real shame to lose him. Yeah, John Ralph was reporting that yeah, Jackson has apparently told friends that he'd like to be at Fremantle. And, yeah, at the, at the end of this season, which would mean that given that he's not a free agent, we'd have to uh, make a trade with Freo. So you'd, you would want an absolute Kevin Durant style, <laughs> uh, you know, package in return that what Brooklyn are looking for at the moment. So, yeah, I, I'm like, I re- I'm really not sure. Unfortunately, gut feelings that he might be gone. Can we have four first round picks? Just like our <laughs> Brooklyn or half though? Well, they've only got one this this yeah. year, I think, and we, so we need at least they've a future, at least few, one they? future. Oh. And there's caps on how many futures you can trade as well. So, mm. you know, whether it's finding a player as well too to come back in that trade, but. Yeah, I don't know. It, it's hard to know how much to buy in, but as I said, like a lot of these times, these whispers, generally, there's a good percentage of them that turn out true. So it'll be something still to watch. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that also leaves, if that's the case, it gives us a little bit more flexibility looking for Brasher as well. It's one of those ones, when we did when we did draft him, I thought with the crop that we had with with Cozzy Pickett and also Rivers coming from Perth, you think this is a perfect cornerstone for him to stay. And obviously... You know, if you're getting thrown around, I mean, we're looking at the Tom Scully situation where obviously GWS threw a lot at him and this could be another scenario where, you know, I mean, look, he's he's got his apprenticeship as a starting point, but then obviously we want him to continue. And my my biggest thing was like, well, please re-sign for a couple of years. Just we're in that, obviously we're in the window. I mean, you know, with Petrarca and Oliver re-signing for that long, I mean, why wouldn't you want to be trying to tap down to those boys? Gorney getting a little bit older, but yeah, it's going to be interesting how it pans out, and I'm sure we'll be able to cover yeah, a fair bit of that across the episode. That's it. That's it. And we forgot to mention at the top, but we're actually coming to you live from the uh, from the shed out from in the, the Yarra Valley, so you might hear some nature sounds. <laughs> the sound insulation in here isn't isn't amazing, and uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be it's it's good that again another chance to do it live, and it's. Uh, yeah, if you do hear a bit of um, bit of bird calls or anything like that, it's just just take it as some soothing notes to um yeah quell any 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 I don't know any stresses that you might have after you know a long day at work or you know the day's losing. So anyway, <laughs> we're gonna move on from that and uh, yeah, well let's let's look at the game and we're gonna cover the things that we love in our game in the next segment. Credit to the boys. Get back into the game, so. Um, I think it was on uh, all of us to step up and, and you know, really lead from the front, and I thought we did that all day. So we want to play our way. Just go after the boys. All right, mate. Looking at the things we did like, and I think the bloke that we've just been labelling on is someone that's definitely having his best. I reckon now we could definitely say he's having his best year, and that's our you know our vice captain, our, our past captain, and that's Jack Viney and. Like, he just keeps going on. He just keeps keeping on. Um, look, I mean, I hate to knock him just slightly. I know it's a credit to the boys, but this this kind of went hand in hand with a lot of our players on the weekend and I th- or on Thursday. Is a lot of people just trying to break tackles. Yeah. And Geelong's tackle pressure was really good, but um, just just even so, Viney's the thir- been able to have thirty five. He just he just keeps going on his merry way. Like the fact that Clary is out or potentially out next week, I think. I'm going to be a little bit more at ease with the fact that his input has been amazing this year. And, you know, it's only another stepping stone and another way he'll thrive on. He's going to be, essentially, he's going to be 
the number one midfielder because Petrarca plays, you know, kind of that 70-30 sort of forward. Um, yeah, it's going to be a lot left up to, to Vin and, you know, his leadership in there because obviously to get smashed at clearances, I think we're just going to have more people around him and, yeah, not having Clary there could pose a real interesting mix. It will, it will. So he, he certainly uh, smashed it in, in terms of statistics for himself. So, yeah, with the 35, but 14 contested. The seven tackles, again, he's just leading the front with the tackle with the tackle count every week, the five clearances and nine inside 50s. Now, it's interesting now, is Jack Viney the best person to put the ball inside 50? Maybe, maybe not, given our you know, our current forward dysfunctions. But at the same time, if he if it, if he's getting it in there, like he's, he's doing a mountain of work. So, yeah, Viney did. I think just the midfield battle in general, like it was, as, as I mentioned at the top there, it was such... Such an epic battle that people have been talking about, about which teams can match Melbourne's toughness. And we talked about how Kingy said, labelled you know, Melbourne's trio last week is the toughest trio midfielders he's ever seen. And But, you know, credit to Geelong. You know, they're, they're consistent. Old boys really matched it to us. And you mentioned, you could notice in that first quarter that like Melbourne were really trying to just bust through every single tackle, fend off harms, was guilty of a couple of times. Viney was guilty of it a couple of times as well and got pinged. I think we broke through five tackles in that first quarter and then the second quarter, I think, uh, yeah, at least, I don't know, we got pinged for holding the ball. I think it was three or four times. So it was, yeah, a tactic where Melbourne probably needed to to make sure that they realised their personnel and their, and their opponents and realised that they're, they're big, bulky midfielders, blokes that have been playing footy for a long time. Uh, but yeah, Oliver consistent even after the kick, you know, like the 34, 23 contested possessions, 10 clearances and a goal as well. Really nice set shot goal. I think I wrote in my notes in capital letters, Clary (laughs) kicks a set shot goal because it's not something we're so, uh, we're so used to doing. And then track again, started on fire, three goals, one, like the 21 touches. So again, playing with that forward and midfield mix, but like, as I mentioned, his first goal was absolutely outstanding and then kicked a really crucial goal in the last quarter as well to keep us within arm's length of, of the uh, of the result. You see the best midfielders that are these high impact players and I think Petrarca kicking goals is gonna be another you know, another cog. And to do that three goals two weeks in a row, it's uh it's gonna pose a scary, you know, proposition for other teams because if he's going forward um and kicking goals and still having a high influence, um yeah, who who's gonna stop him? Uh I mean, you look at his middle part of the season you think okay he's kicking a lot of points and now to get the reward and actually kicking straight it's gonna yeah give us that extra as you can see extra 19 points on the weekend and if there's anybody that you know is going to go back and work on his game it's Petrarca like as in like if he he would know in his head like he's like you know my goal kicking has been awful like I think there was a stat that they said before he kicked the three last week it was such a staggering um difference between when he kicked the goal like his last goal yeah it was something crazy like how many games it was so he would know in his head that that's something that he needs to go back and improve on so look as I mentioned the midfield battle a couple of long players there I mean look you had Mitch Duncan who had 32 two goals and seven inside 50s danger okay he's been out quite a bit with this troublesome calf you know looked back to his best really and provided them even <laughs> fortunate that he couldn't kick straight zero goals four but still had the eight inside 50s and 31 touches Guthrie bobbed up with two goals in his was it his 250? No, Isaac Smith. Isaac Smith. Yeah, and uh, and Tom Atkins, who yeah is a really impressive young player as well too, and the nine clearances and nine tackles as well. So just an- another cog in their midfield who's really kind of stepped up and he's kind of the, that next age bracket who's who's uh, who's you know j- jumping on the end of the uh, of the old boys. Yeah, and you can even add in Mark Blitzarves to that. I mean, he was doing it all. He was doing it in the ruck and also doing a job on. Petrarca and Oliver at centre stoppages. So what a yeah, beast! He he just he just this is a workhorse and just didn't stop. It's just yeah I don't know his this his ability to yeah, get up and down the ground and nullify those two boys to a degree. I mean obviously I mean you look at the stats and you think Man, not so much not so much Oliver but um, when Track was in there I mean he couldn't really get that explosive um, set of clearance. So. I mean, you look at what happened in the grand final and you think of how many of those explosive centre clearances he's had. You're looking at 60-metre bombs inside 50 where um, he's doing it now. I mean, we'll touch on him a little bit later in terms of his entry, but um, yeah, I mean, don't want to be raving about Geelong players, but they're definitely... (laughs) They definitely had a set plan and we need to be able to counteract um, what other teams are doing. And 
I mean, you saw what we did against Adelaide. We had a, not a recognised Ruckman, but still were able to... I think we might have just won the clearance battle. Yeah. Um, but then we get our Ruckman back and then we get slaughtered. It just doesn't make sense. But that, that common theme has been most of the year, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, it was... I think just really uh, intelligent coaching by Chris Scott as well too to make those adjustments at halftime because I think that our midfield, I think we're only down by four clearances at halftime. So for that to sort of blow out so much in the second half and it it starts with Blitz going to Petrarca and Oliver and really having the negating effect because really for that entire third quarter, like our midfield was nowhere to be seen. Like that ball was pretty much locked in Geelong's forward half. So it it, it certainly, it comes down to yeah, a mixture of the personnel and, and the game day tactics there. And I think just really smart coaching from Chris Scott as well. I think one thing that we also have to highlight as a real credit is you're looking at their forward line who, you know, in the media is heralded as the best forward line in the competition with Tom Hawkins, Jeremy Cameron, and then now Tyson Stengel, who's probably in all-Australian form and probably sitting in the 40-man squad at least at this point of the season. Uh, to keep them, all three of them, to two goals combined is, uh, I think, a huge effort from our defence. Now, we know that they were pretty inaccurate at times, so we can kind of take some of that as well. But, I mean, Jeremy and Cameron only had the one shot on goal. Um you know, Hawkins, we kept him to 15 touches, one goals, two, although he did have the 11 scoring involvements, which he's always going to be up there with that as well. And then Stengel had one goal, three. So I think you have to think like Stephen May and Jake Lever played a, and Petty t- played a terrific role against the Tools down there and really curbed their influence. Unfortunately, Geelong still had 33 scoring shots, which is, yeah, which is a real disappointment in that sense that you, you do all the hard yards to stop their big guns firing. But we get let down in other areas. Yeah, a bit of the nail on the head, I think. Just to go through another thing that I think really needs to be labelled on. I mean, probably someone that didn't do a whole lot during the game, but I think Cozzy's influence to give us a chance in the last quarter can't be unnoticed. I think, you know, obviously he was finding it hard to get into the game, but being able to kick the goal and then almost kick a second, it was, yeah, just a bit of 10-minute brilliance to give us a sniff. And, you know, you never know what could have happened. And, yeah, I mean good on you cause i hope hopefully we just see more of it i mean he's a he's a he's a he's an impact player but he's also a player that his influence is mainly driven off defensive pressure and i just hope that he gets back to that and has his rat pack and his mates to follow along because we're going to need it because that's when we play our best footy is getting those quick entries those forward half turnovers and then being able to kick a goal kick a score from there that's right and i'm sort of a little bit sick of people having a go at cause about saying that he's not living up to his potential because as a forward, as as his pressure forward in his role, like he he does, he has those moments of brilliance. He's not one of those players that's always going to have, you know, twenty touches. Like we held him when he has, you know, eighteen touches and three goals. But the games where he might have eight touches and a goal, but as you mentioned there, was potentially you know on the line to to be the game winner and, and being able to change the momentum in that fourth quarter. It was interesting, Simon. Uh, Friend of the podcast, Simon C from on Twitter was talking about uh, where are we? I had the comment, there was a great comment that he made, and I can't find it. No, I'll have to come back to it. Sorry, Simon, we'll get back to you later on. But it was just talking about the fact and pretty much echoing what we had said about given that our systems are so well in place to be to have about what fifteen odds less scoring shots be smacked around the clearances but then within that first five six minutes how dangerous because he was around the stoppage and then around goal you could see Geelong players were just very active looking for him but they couldn't do a lot to stop him and yeah I, I think it's it's credit to us to be able to you know be just a hair away then even though it blew out towards the end of that quarter to make sure that yeah even if we're well off our game that we can still be near around the mark and, and be a chance to get the result on our terms so yeah some interesting points there but all in all, pretty pretty good contest. I'm sure it was good, you know, for the neutral supporter to watch. I know the media's loved it. Some it's tipped the scales for some people in terms of premiership odds, but that's all right. They can have that, and uh, we'll we'll just keep riding. I'm not worried, mate. Are you? Not at this stage. I just hope we get back to our best footy. That's pressure, and I want to be able to see that. But uh, I mean, it was a little bit wet Thursday night. I mean, I don't know. We just didn't look like we had our best pressure game again, and. Yeah, when it's, I mean, you just got to look at the Brisbane game and you just look what we can achieve when we play our best footy. And I just want to see that consistently. And it's got to build because for us to to go all the way, we're going to have to bring that every week. And look, it's going to have to start this week. And I think it's, I mean, it is a high 
you know, high high level of play, which obviously it's taxing on the body. And we we're coming off a five day break, and I suppose the Adelaide game was pretty crunching. Um, so I suppose that had a little bit to do with it. But yeah, we just hope you know in the future we're getting back to our best because our best, to be honest. I don't think anyone can beat us. Yeah, and I think we played Geelong at the peak of their game right now. And I'm not saying that they've peaked too early or anything like that, but it sounds like they've learned a lot from last uh, from last year. And I was, I was, uh, I think it was one of the game runs, game rundowns on. Might have been Fox Footy. I love the fact that, well, love and say hated that the uh, the author who penned the article d- decided to use the flu riddled cats, and I just couldn't believe that. You know, that that's still come back. Not that saying that Chris Scott, he hasn't said anything about that since that point. But the fact that they've labelled that in that article, I was thinking, fuck, what, what are you doing? Like, you need to get over that particular part. They've learned a lot from that. And even their ability to be able to negate kicking down the line to Max as well was a really big thing. Like, they moved the ball with speed. They were able to switch it very quickly. And often we find that teams can, can do that and punish us on turnover catch our defense on the back foot and they weren't yeah they weren't really allowing Max to sort of get into the game and get into his intercept game um, as well too and I think it also came part to you know given Max's performance they were trying really everything not to get him involved in the game so yeah as you said don't want to talk up Geelong too much but you know right now that that's the best side well, I say they're the benchmark up with us and at, at their at their best football and there's probably only a really Frio behind them. I, I can't like the fourth spot, like Brisbane. They're falling off. Flaky the as, mm. um, yeah. People like Carlton. Carlton will be interesting to see how how their game stands up towards the end of the season, and also Collingwood as well too. So even though Collingwood just scraped out the line against North, yeah, you know, people are talking about oh, top four chances and for the young side. So it'll be interesting to see how that sort of separates. What sort of movement there is between. Uh, one to five because yeah we're all very even heading into the next round so but anyway we've covered those things now we're going to try and cover some things that we need to improve on in our next segment pretty pissed off pretty i'm pretty pissed i'm pretty pissed off still um it's not good enough that's very unlike the way we've been playing and something that we'll obviously review and get better at uh yeah it's not it's not good enough today um this team this club's got to start winning games All right, Simo. Well, it was pretty clear after the game. Clearances were such a yeah, such a major factor in probably our downfall in that second half. As I mentioned, only only down by four at half time and still clearly clearly in the game. But for them to yeah, for them to smash us by eighteen, especially with our two ruckmen back, as you mentioned earlier, getting on top of the hitouts. But then we we're able to get first hands to the footy. I think the biggest thing was that win the contested ball by what was it eleven. But then lose the clearance by 18. So we're getting first hands to it. But then the tackle pressure that Geelong provided around the stoppages was yeah incredible, as we've talked about. But also just our use of the ball wasn't wasn't fantastic. And yeah, it was either turning the ball over and mm. yeah causing the ball to pretty much live in Geelong's first half, which was yeah really clear a, a disappointing result given as you mentioned earlier the Adelaide game and and what we had to deal with there with no no recognised ruckman and and still being able to utilise. Utilise the clearances, but unfortunately, it didn't work out for us this time. Yeah, well, it's actually really concerning to see. Actually, it's um, I mean, how can you how can you win the the yardage battle? Which I think Neil Bullen, yeah, Neil Bullen was touching on half a game. Like, you can't really win the the yardage battle if you're getting slaughtered at clearance. I mean, obviously, teams set up, you know, they're pressed, etc. If you're not winning the clearance, I mean, you're, you're making it bloody hard for your defenders, and obviously. The forwards have to push up, and that's probably half the half the trouble behind our forward connection because we weren't getting that forward half turnover. Um, we weren't able to slingshot the footy, and I think Langdon was relatively well held. And I think, yeah, they sort of cut off those little avenues which we like to do a lot of. And yeah, I think that, as I said to you just before, that pressure game is our best game. And you know, if we're not able to do so um, substantially for four quarters, then obviously. Some things are going to come unstuck. I mean, you look at this. We're in the game, or any, as you said, a couple of points down at half time, and yeah, to be beaten like that, it's just yeah, you you you, you question what's going on. You question sort of what Maxie's doing in there and what Dogger's doing in there as well. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, the changes as you know, obviously if Clary's out and you know what mix do we have there. Um, 
yeah, really looking forward to that. As you say, I mean, we're just sloppy when we got either tackled and or decided to fend off. A lot of holding the balls, just a lot of sloppy handballs and ankles. It's yeah, it just wasn't our day, unfortunately. And it's been it's been a little bit of a trend. You talk about fumbles, and we have been we've been a little bit shaken by some of the pressure that these opponents have, have given to us, especially in the midfield. And it has been, yeah, it's been a bit of an area of concern where we're just not clean with the ball. And if we're not clean with that, and not giving our forwards and you know our wings the best opportunity to get the ball out, and it is we're spilling the ball over. So you're doing all the grunt work to start with, but then you're not getting that reward from it. So I thought it was interesting that when Blitzar um, went into the ruck contest, Geelong won the clearance to seventeen to four. Like, isn't that interesting? The fact that he's their backup ruckman to Ray Stanley, but for them, we know that some teams have been pretty. Uh, pretty beneficial in being able to shark Maxi's taps and it's clearance has been yeah, something that's on the topic of conversation over the last few years really. Um, when we look good we look amazing but there's still teams that, that can do it to their advantage. We talked about how it's you've almost got that that pressure's off you if you're if you're a ruckman you know you're going up against a great ruckman. Say for instance last week when we had none of them, it's kind of easier to play off the opposition ruckman than it is to probably play off your own and get to the get to your spots. But for Blitz to have the impact that he did, especially in a ruck as a back ruckman, I think it's pretty impressive as well too. So, yeah, that I think that's got to be the biggest thing that they've got to look at. And, yeah, they need to do some a body work to make sure that their game is back on strong because, yeah, Port Adelaide is still another t- tough midfield that they're going to have to go in and, and really without probably one of our soldiers in Clary, uh, they're going to have to make sure that they've got everyone to, uh, to back that up. Uh, inside 50s, again, there's common things that are bobbing up. 46 entries, 19 shots on goal at 41%. And then you're looking in comparison, Geelong's 33 shots on goal from 66 entries at 50%. So even, yeah, I think our ability to find the best chance to get a scoring shot is still uh, something that we need to, yeah, need to work on. It needs to be, you know, it seems to be desired and uh, they've got to do some work in figuring out what that best mix going forward is. I think our midfielders and half forwards kind of kicked to a spot, and you saw that with Petrarca. He was on the wing, and he just kicked it to like no one. Well, a Geelong player, which come from the opposite side to swing across, three, wasn't it three and one? It's three and one. I think three and picked... one. When he could, he, he honestly could have ran another 10, 15 meters to be honest. But obviously, that's just the way I suppose. There's the way we sort of play. I mean, we want to put speed on the ball. We want to get it going forward. Um, as quick as we can, but then obviously, <laughs> you think Petrarca, what are you doing? Yeah, like and it's happened. It's happened multiple times for Petrarca this year, just blazing away. When you know, obviously, when we're winning it, I suppose winning it off the turnover looks so much better because we've got blokes streaming um, through the goal as opposed to you know looking. Or he'd probably look up and he's got to his left. He probably looked like he had De Koning, a bit of a goalkeeper, and then. A player sort of probably running in a pretty average spot, so he's kind of kicked to space without seeing the guy on the other side. It was just, I don't know, just, yeah, just poor entries. Just, it's one of those things to, to shore up. It is, but the thing with Petrarca is that he's capable, and we've seen him do it time in and time out, about being able to lace out forwards as well and be that really intelligent kick going forward. We know that, you know, there's a few players that we want the ball in their hands with going inside 50. Petrarca's one of them. Like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, the, the ability to be able to pull the kick late, I think he hit up Langdon, I can't remember which game it was, you know, about 35, 40 out when it sort of looked like he was going to go long. He's really intelligent like that. I'm sure there'd just be a few of those moments that he wish he'd have back because I think that one that you highlighted before, it was. It was Petrarca singling out the one Geelong player when we had three forwards going inside 50 in transition and... He's either, I don't know, had a bit of a brain fade, not knowing where to put the ball, or there's been a miscommunication with the Fords. But, yeah, it's uh, he's certainly one that's capable. It's not like we don't want him bombing the ball inside. We we don't want him to be that person putting the ball inside 50 because he's such a smart footballer. So it's just about, yeah, I guess, like working on that entry and making sure that he's got good synergy with the Fords. And that's, that's again, something that's bobbing up. I mean, what do you think of the whole... I don't know. What do I think about the whole Bailey Fritcher, Bailey Fritch thing about being a little bit too selfish? I was rewatched that dribble kick a couple of times, and I know we talked about it on the phone, but I think the more and more I look at it, like Langdon was there, I think, for a short chip kick, don't you think? Like, well, honestly, or, uh, it's yeah, or even a snap across, but 
I suppose, to be honest, Bailey, Bailey Fritz was in his rights to kick that ball, that goal. I mean, you had a, he had a Geelong defender streaming in from his right. He's a left footer, which would have made it a big swooping left-handed handball. I don't know. I mean, Langdon was cruising through to where the goal score was. If the handball was loopy, you know, I mean, obviously you'd have to sidestep him. But if he was going full tilt, obviously it'd be a pretty quick sidestep. But I suppose, yeah, and it comes down to that dribble kick again, doesn't it? And yeah. It's, um, you think? Yeah. It's it's an interesting one because, the, to be honest, the Fritter and Petrarca one the other week, that was so much worse. Yeah, 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 um, it, yeah that's right. As opposed to this one, but still, like it's, I don't know if it's selfish or it's just, yeah, just putting complete, you know, he's got confidence in his goal kicking, obviously, and it has worked for him. I mean, kicking, you know, what, high in 30s, I think. He's up to about 35 for the year. So, um, yeah, I mean... As a forward, I mean, it's just one of those things where he's probably in his rights to kick the ball. But yeah, he probably, if if he looked, it wouldn't have looked as bad. But he just literally looks looks at the goals. Yeah, and you just took the words out of my mouth because it was interesting to hear Jordan Lewis talk after the game about that particular incident. And I suppose you take what he, you know, what he says as as a premiership player, and but for also spending three years at the club as well too. You know, the fact that you're, you're bringing on this selfless culture, he said the fact that he didn't look is probably the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said if, it, if he'd looked and then decided to kick for the goal, it wouldn't have looked so bad. So pretty much bang on what you just said then. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if there's any sort of conversations that have that happen uh, within the club. But like you said, like such a dangerous kicker. Like kicked our first goal as well too. Um, I'm sure a few people would have been, you know, cashing in on first goal for Bailey Fritch on, on Thursday night. Uh, all right, that's enough about the full line. Last thing you mentioned it a bit earlier about, uh, yeah, not being the conditions of the night and probably the D's just not really adapting and the territory game. We just were nowhere near it, unfortunately. It was just locked in Geelong's half for a lot of that, a lot of that time, especially in that third quarter. And yeah, from that, given that we were so so close to it at, at half time, that really kind of, I don't know, really took the air out of the game, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest, I think the damn wall could have easily bursted more than it did. Um, real real props to the defence because, obviously, the ball was living there. I mean, we could have easily given up. It could have been, could have been down by three or four goals at three-quarter time, but to still be in it, which was just, you know, what was it? Two, it was two goals at three-quarter time, wasn't it? Um, so, yeah, I mean, full full kudos to, to the defence line, but obviously, I mean... Yeah, it speaks for itself. I mean, you got to win the territory game, especially in you know those type of conditions. It's yeah, I mean, it's the only way you're going to win the game. I think so. Yeah, it's pretty hard to propel the ball off half back, especially when it's so congested. Because I mean, obviously, all the players would have pressed pressed up and everything. So yeah, um, unfortunately, that was the case. And I think you know Neil Bullen summed it up pretty well, and he said, "Yeah, we're just going to get better, and we'll learn from this." Yeah, so it was interesting to see in the second half that Geelong were able to generate 41 points from four to centre. Um, so normally the D's average 28 points conceding. So we're ranked first defensively in the league for that. Mm-hmm. And they scored 41 points from that point in the second half alone. So to think about where that sort of sits, about how we normally perform uh, week in, week out during season 2022, yeah, pretty disappointing. Uh, you talk about how our back line being as stellar as they are and, and, and being that, that brick wall. Talked about Stevie May and his performance. I mean, racking up the 26 touches and 700-odd uh, metres gained, just bombing it back out of uh, defensive 50 when it keeps flying in on the other end. So I think that the Cats, they were just much more efficient moving the ball, using their feet, whereas I think D's got caught over handballing. We talk about like sloppy skills and that as well too, but... Yeah, D's got caught over handballing a lot. And, and yeah, Cats, just, I mean, they know their ground very well. And unfortunately, it's just one of those things when you get to playing at home in front of 7,500 feral fans who I thought were almost as bad as Adelaide fans the previous week. Uh, it's uh, Yeah, it's one of those things. But it could be different at the G. That's true. And I think it's interesting how you're talking about Stevie May with the bombing down the line. I mean, you could even see like Petty, Petty a couple of times. It was just in the middle where he could have easily taken that option when we were like a goal or two down, we just insisted of just playing on, running about, what, five, ten metres and just launching it down left. It just it just baffles me that we just didn't have a plan B. And you think, well, what the hell was Simon Goodwin telling these boys? I mean, it, it happened in the third quarter as well. And then like, we've, we've given it 
to the days when we have played our worst footy is we're just playing boring footy. Put some speed on the ball. Take some risk. I mean, yes, it didn't work when Lever tried to do it. But at that stage, we're down by three goals. I mean, chip one in the middle. Obviously, put a little bit of height on the ball. Brayshaw wasn't able to mark it. They spill, kick a goal. Like, it just you don't win games of footy if you're down, kicking down the line consistently in the last quarter. It just... Uh, it, it's probably my biggest worry about that style of football. I mean, what, what the hell are we doing? Yeah, it... Well, I don't know. It, isn't it being kind of prevalent in Simon Goodwin's era that sort of mid-game adjustments haven't really been something that has been clear? Like, you saw what Chris Scott did making the move and putting Blitz on um, on Pachara and Oliver and, and seeing the impact that that has. I don't, there's not too many times that we've probably noticed a mid-game move a la, okay, grand final, keeping Luke Jackson in the ruck and letting Maxi stay for it. Right, there's, there's one thing there and we all know how that story ends. But yeah, it's uh, one of those things that it's, uh, yeah, interesting to see how good he operates and, and, and the rest of the coaches as well operate. That's that's a really funny one because I think it was actually Maxi Gorn's choice, not Goody's choice, to keep Jackson in the ruck. So maybe Gorney should be the coach. <laughs> uh, and look, Goody's a big one for sticking to the system. He knows that we stick to the system, we're going to get somewhere. But obviously, it failed numerous of times on Thursday night. And you think, when's going to be the time for him to pull the trigger? Because we've got gears. You know we've got gears where we can just go hell for leather. We get that ball zipping across the halfback. You know, a lot of the time, Brayshaw or Salem last year connect with Langdon. Langdon goes for a run down the wing. You know, we get players spinning off left, right and centre for that inside 45 or another kick down the wing. It's just, yeah, It just baffles me that we don't pull the trigger more often in that case. I mean, we do it a lot early in games. Are we more so thinking of the finals? I mean, we've had really strong starts in pretty much all three finals. Um, minus, I think, the Brisbane game where Charlie Cameron was tearing us apart. But anyway, you just think, look what we do when we put speed on the ball, we take risk, we're, we use the ball bloody well. Just, yeah, just don't have Stephen May kicking out for one. <laughs> I mean, yes, if we're playing a defensive brand and we have to play that way, but if we want to take risk, get a play like Salem to take the kick in. Change the lanes. Make it happen. Let's move on. that time of the week it is the Hoppen Delightful Display Player of the Award a Year Award should I say underrated no, Player of the Year because it's not not underrated it's our it's our own it's it's just our own depiction isn't it it is it is what it is and in, say, in saying that mate I think my one vote goes to Clayton Oliver more so just purely based on just his effort especially after obviously fracturing his thumb to come back onto the ground, pretty courageous to even still have a decent crack, to still get in there. And I think he actually led the team for contested possession in the last quarter, even with a bro- uh, fractured thumb. I mean, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty incredible. Yeah, no, no, good one there. Uh, my one vote goes to James Harms. I think the way that he got us off to a great start in that, uh, yeah, in the first and second quarter, he was really did some really prolific stuff in the midfield and was able to, yeah, fend off a couple, did get pinged a couple, was one of, one of those culprits that did get caught trying to break a couple of tackles, but he still did some great work inside and, and the grunt work, and he'll, I think he'll also be one to step up as well with Clary potentially missing this week. So I thought that Harmsy, uh, yeah, played, played a huge role in that first half, at least. I'm going to go out on limb and say he's going to run with Connor Rosie. He's been tearing it apart, so I think he'll go to Connor Rosie to really nullify his, his impact, and he'll get it the other way like he's done in the past. Um, my two vote goes to Harrison Petty. Um, I was just chatting to you before. I was trying to work out exactly um, how often he actually spent on on uh, Jezza Cameron. But, I mean, just even his intercept work was pretty solid, I thought. Um, and to, you know, you know, whether it be him or whether it be Lever, I just thought just his game was a little bit more noted. Um, but, yeah, two votes for him purely based on Jeremy Cameron not kicking any. And I think it was probably more Rowan that was uh, running with Lever. So, yeah, I think um, Harrison Petty deserves some props for his game. Yeah. Our defence has just 
we know how well they stand up. And like I talked to you about Hibbard last week as well, but Hibbard had 10 disposals in the third quarter. And I, I tweeted on Saturday, on Thursday night about how much, as much as I love Hunt, like Hibbo just r- provides me with that sense of relief. And I just think that experience is just so much better um, down back there at the moment. But Petty is just, he's becoming fast growing, you know, into a terrific defender at such a young age as well and he's got great uh, role models down the back there to learn off so nah just sort of <laughs> chime in there I'm not giving him any votes sorry <laughs> but uh, I think my two votes goes to Christian Petrarca I, I think that the three goals it's hard to argue past and especially that last set shot that really kind of gave us uh, you know, put us back in contention to be within arm's reach of the, of the game was, was really important even though he was he was quelled a little bit for that third quarter when Blitz sort of moved to him in the middle, but he still can't argue with the start that he gave us. And yeah, I think his consistent game, reasonably consistent game over the four quarters is a uh, hard nut to reward. It'd be really interesting to see his um, time spent midfield forward um, because obviously you, d- you do see him attend most centre bounces. I mean, I mean, why wouldn't you sort of thing? But yeah, obviously to get that three goal, but I thought he was a little bit held with that 21. But yeah, the three goals is definitely promising. My three votes, I mean, it's too hard to look. This is our leaderboard leader, Jack Viney. The three votes, just just a bloke that just gives his absolute all. And yeah, his, his possession might, it was, he went at 63%, but just, just his grunt work and just his want to win is just so noted. And I'm just so happy that his, his body's finally right. And touching wood, which I can't really see any wood, <laughs> uh, that'll do. Um, I just, yeah, let's hope that it continues and. Hopefully you can try and push us for another flag tilt. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, I can't argue with there. He gets my three votes as well too. Just another solid game. And yeah, you just love what he brings to a footy club. And he's he, yeah, always willing to fly the flag. And I think Geelong, I reckon he's got, I reckon, I reckon he enjoys playing Geelong and enjoys getting in the face of a few of the uh, few of the boys down there. And yeah, we've developed a pretty decent rivalry, rivalry with them. So it's going to be something that I, I think we'll, we'll continue on for, for the time to be, which is good. All right, Simo, well, we are the podcast for D's fans, by D's fans, and we wouldn't be here without our loyal listeners. And it's time to hear their thoughts in our next segment, Fugazi. People aren't commenting on what they see, um, but internally, it's Fugazi. You do with your best uh, Matthew McConaughey impression from the <laughs> No, I can't, but it's, uh, it's goes something like Fugazi, it's woozy, it's wazi. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so talking points from Thursday night's disappointing defeat to Geelong. First of, first up, we've got Roger Cottrell, who says, Spargo, four disposals, none contested, zero influence. Sparrow, three kicks, not a single tackle. Both didn't touch the scoreboard, and rest assured, both will be selected next week. Self-entitlement has well and truly crept in now. Goody seems overly matey with the group. Hard calls required and freshen up the forward setup. Laurie and Dunstan, Rivers and Weed in for Port. Four omissions. It'd be interesting to know who else he's uh, he's looking to omit there. So yeah, some hard calls there. I think Spargo noticeably was really quiet. I think I labelled in my in my notes. I think it might have been at some point in the third quarter. I said first touch, like I hadn't seen for the first half entirely. So as I mentioned earlier before, I thought it's been a quiet week for him. Uh, Sparrow. I think that his role is just going to be too important with Oliver out as well. So yeah, some interesting points there. Thanks, Roger. Awesome. Next one comes in from Michael Hicksy Hicks. We got mids kicking goals at a higher rate than our forwards. Forward line is is in shambles now. Stop long bombing him into fifty and hoping it hits a target. Start of the year after grand final. I thought perhaps Fritch in good contention for the Coleman. Yep, not now. Look here. I mean, yes, it's really great for our midfielders kicking goals, but yeah, obviously our forwards were the more prominent goal kickers last year and probably more start of the year as well. So. Yeah, I think we obviously need to find that balance. And yeah, I mean, Fritch has still kicked a lot of goals, don't get me wrong, but obviously, you know, little things like we've spoken about before have crept in. Yeah, and just quickly on that, I wanted to bring this up earlier. Ben Brown, this is a a bit of an interesting write-up about how we go about using him in the forward line. So he's been targeted inside 50 metres, one-on-one, 45 times this season, and he's taken just one mark from those battles. So... And they label it as a junk time grab on Marcus Adams uh, late in the fourth quarter. So he's been outmarked eight times. 
and it says the days don't trust Wiedemann or Mitch Brown and talking about the absence of Tom McDonald's. It, it's an interesting stat about Brown's work inside 50 because I thought I actually thought that he started off in the first quarter really well. Like took a couple of great contested marks up the wing, but and the, his dribble goal was yeah that was incredible. A, that was actually a drop punt from the boundary. <laughs> that wasn't a dribble goal. That was going through. That was going through at head height. Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, that was no, nuts. Yeah, you're right. It's uh yeah, but interesting to know about how much that we do look for him going forward. But the reward that we get out of that, we know that you know those forwards we want them to bring the ball down and, and just create a contest. But yeah, I thought I thought that 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 stat is pretty staggering. It'd be interesting to see how many of those contests is actually won. You know, we talk a lot about the five-meter battle. How often is he bringing that down to our, you know, our smalls? I mean, or how often is he just getting fist out of bounds? I mean, we see it a fair bit. It's just a matter of, yeah, like you say, a bit of value for possession and also value for um, him in the air because he's two meters tall with bloody long arms. So we've got to get some value for him. Yeah, and also, like they said, they mentioned the next couple, like as in like the leaders in the competition, Tom Hawkins is, I think, sitting somewhere around about 30%. Uh, in in terms of him uh, winning his one-on-ones. And then the next one down from that, it might have been higher than 30%, sorry. Um, the next one down from that, Darcy Cameron from Collingwood, like winning one-on-ones. So, yeah, some uh, some interesting interesting points there, uh, again, to do with our forward line. But anyway, that's <laughs> that's enough of that. Uh, who have we got next? We've got Kent Hodder. So the lack of clean hands uh, across the ground was an issue. So many stoppages that D's were getting first hands, but the Cats were just getting the clean exit because we couldn't take clean possession. A big key to our stoppage dominance has been clean. So we kind of labeled that earlier as well. So getting first hands to the ball, but yeah, being really fumbly or just succumbing to um, great tackle pressure on Thursday night, but it hasn't always been to the standard that Geelong brought. So just um, yeah, making sure that they're making the most of of the silver service that we generally get from our from our big foot, our big rucks. Hundred percent. Yeah, we're definitely fumbly, and we definitely weren't adjusting to the conditions. Where we it was just, yeah, it's just a nightmare. Just trying to retent the ball was just, yeah, just wasn't our best. Let's just say the least. Next one comes in from Simon C. You've been labelling. You've been touching on him a bit uh, during the episode. Uh, most annoying thing on the night was Fritzel ignoring Ed at the top of the goal square for an absolute soda. Instead, only had his eyes for the goal and missed. It was a crucial time too, as we were coming hard. Second time in a fortnight, and it needs to be addressed. Yeah, a lot of people say he didn't learn from learn from the one with Petrarca, and yeah, it was at a crucial time because you know we were steamrolling. You know what happens if you know obviously Cosy the snap on the boundary hits the post, and you got the Fritter one. Like it's you know it could have been a game changer potentially, and could have put some doubt into Geelong's mind. We've talked about it enough, but yeah, it's it's one thing where we hope that we. You know, brush up and we start, you know, becoming that real strong team um, again. And uh, what have we got? Last one here is just a quick cheeky one from David Pennell who says, uh, attention to detail indeed is required in the next game. So I just thought I'd add that in there. This is a nice little, uh, nice little way to close off the segment. So <laughs> thanks for everyone's comments and uh, yeah, looking forward to the next one. Uh, we're, we're pleased with where we sit. We understand there's going to be some hype around how we're playing. But we also want to just take it, you know, one week at a time. And coaches say that a lot, and people, and it's just the reality. You can't look too far ahead. It's that time of the week, mate. <laughs> Again, it is one week at a time. My favourite segment, as I say each week. Something I look forward to because I can real just just lay it all out there. We've got Port Adelaide who are steamrolling. Oh, actually, yeah, steamrolling. I, I think they obviously started pretty slowly, and then. Yeah, now they're still in contention for finals. It's, you know, it's it's a danger game to be honest. And with the potential of Clary to be out, it's going to pose a, a huge threat, especially in the middle of the ground where you know a highly contested game potentially is going to show off who's going to be. You know, if you win that battle, then you're going to go a long way to win the game. But Alice Springs, great to get down there. Um, obviously a bit of revenue for the club and being able to showcase um to our fans in Darwin, which would be pretty cool and. Oh, Darwin, Alice Springs, if I got it right. <laughs> Tragia Park, hang on, that's, uh, that is Alice Springs. Uh, Darwin, better looking it up. 3.20 on the Sunday, potential changes as well. I mean, could be the chance for a, ch- for a bit of a shake-up and a bit of a new look. Um, a few blokes underperforming, which could potentially see themselves out. Look, to be honest, a lot of talk about Spargo potentially going out after a very, very quiet Thursday night. It, to be honest, he's a coach's favourite, let's be fair. I think he'd be very hard to go out. And look, I hate, to, I hate for Bedford to go out, mate. He's He's been so unlucky this year. And 
I think, yeah, I think just the younger body after the five-day break might have got him there. Yeah, I know. Could it be potential two debutants? Could we see Bailey Laurie swing through after? I mean, look, to be honest, he's been the emergency a couple of times and, you know, had that exposure. Van Royen has been an emergency as well for a game. I can't recall exactly which one. Might have been Adelaide. He might have been the emergency for that one. So, yeah, could we see one of those boys swing through, mate? What do you reckon? I think I think it has to be one of them, and I think Laurie's probably the one that he's probably got those players that are playing in the ones that might not be performing at the same level as what they what they need to. So I think in terms of yeah, lock for lock, I think Laurie comes in for potentially yeah a, a Bedford or or a Spargo. Whether that happens, I think they can't argue enough uh, that you know he's he's knocking down the door. He's been playing at a consistent level, Laurie. That is at VFL level, and yeah, I, I think it's a good opportunity to get him in the side and just sort of see. See what is uh what he can do at at the top level because we we did a similar thing last year with Jake Bowie and look where he is, you know, um, slotting in seamlessly. So he could be he could be he's an extremely extremely skillful ball user and and we know that we can uh, yeah get on the scoreboard. So yeah, I'd I'd be for all that in terms of midfield. I don't know. Do you think we've got the personnel within the current side to sort of adjust for Clary's? Uh, you know, for for Clary's absence, if that happens, because does Dunstan or somebody come in just who can be that hard-bodied midfielder who's that experience that can just you know get get in there in spurts and, and potentially get forward as well too. That's a hard one because you kind of look at I mean Sparrow and Harms are probably the two that have been restricted in terms of sentiments attendees that you know can be those extra midfielders that we can deploy. Obviously, Harms more so from a tagging point of view and also in a, and able to you know, win his own footy as well. You've got Sparrow, who's obviously an up-and-comer, who had a quiet game on, on Thursday, but now, I mean, I think he'll you know, relish on the opportunity to be in there, you know, not be full-time, but, you know, given the opportunity. Could this be, could this be a time for Gus Brayshaw? Now, this is a real out-there statement. Brayshaw to return to the wingers' club. James Jordan to become in the midfield. Now, James Jordan, <laughs> I'll touch on this. I remember when he debuted. There's, there's comparisons to him to Simon Black. Now, Simon Black, obviously, superstar player. And if we, <laughs> he got anywhere remotely close to what Simon Black was like as a player, would be laughing. Could that be a potential? Because oh, he's been... He, James Jordan's had a great year. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I mean, he's obviously the reason... He's been quite underrated as well. And I think... He's, he's another one of those players that you never know. It could be the time for him to have a go as well. It, there's so many variables. It's not funny about who's going to go in there. Well, I think the biggest thing is that that sort of uh, like that sort of movement can happen on game day. So it doesn't require anyone sort of coming in or going out unless there's key people that they that they're replacing. Uh, in terms of like if if somebody's going back to fill Gus's shoes at down back, if there's a debutante that is moving on down there. So I think like they've got those options to move within the game. We just said we don't see it happen that often, but it's certainly something that could. And I think that given how much impact that Clary normally has, that it, it won't be just one person's role to kind of, yeah, like try and fill his shoes. I think, as you mentioned, Sparrow certainly uh, certainly capable. Harmsy, yeah, can definitely do it in spurts. And we've seen him play his best footy inside there as well too. So being able to find enough midfield minutes for the blokes that we've got probably in there. I did mention earlier that Dunstan could be a chance if they wanted to go like for like as well. But yeah, I, I, I believe that, I think Laurie's a good chance to come in. But I think that, yeah, in terms of, we could see something like that, certainly moving the magnets around during the game. But yeah, I wouldn't be opposed to it. I think Jordan's, he, he, I think especially early in his career, spent a fair bit of time at centre bounce and, and did really well. He's just that really uh, versatile player that can sort of fill a role at any position. So yeah, I think we'll see what happens. And hopefully, you know, when the game starts rolling and if he needs to, you know, needs to swing things around, then we've got the, uh, we've got the assets to do so. Yeah, it's going to pose a lot of, yeah, a lot of headaches for, I mean, Port Adelaide trying to plan for this game. They're going to be like, obviously, it would have been a lot easier if Clary's playing, but the, the midfield mix is just going to be so, yeah, so bizarre for them. They're going to be like, what's going on here? <laughs> so, I mean, we could really ruffle a few feathers here, but let's think about changes because obviously the forward line has not clicked and has not gelled, probably a la the Brisbane game, let's just say. It has not been consistent all year. Where are we going to find our best? Like, and this was the biggest issue last year. When T Mac was also performing to a decent level, I spe- 
before he got injured, he actually was probably back to his 2018 self. Yeah. Close to. Probably not so much the amount of goals, but the amount of influence around the ground. Definitely very similar. Gets injured, back to okay form, probably averaging 1.5 goals, let's say eight, nine touches. Goes out of the side and we're missing him. We're missing him as an extra cog, but the problem is do we by bringing an extra tall in, we're not that good at ground level as opposed to having the extra small, but then we lose that you know extra in the air. Yeah. Is well, our is our game plan tailored around having the extra tall? Well, I think it had been previously. And like the smalls worked that game against Brisbane. I mean, you look at the the shots that we were able to generate on goal and it was all from that forward pressure. But that, as you mentioned earlier, like that forward pressure has not been there the last two weeks. And yeah, if that's not firing and we're, we're not causing those forward half turnovers, then that's where that game looked really, I suppose, damaging against Brisbane. But we haven't been able to replicate that in the last couple of weeks. We took our equal fewest marks inside 50 uh, on Thursday night, which is six. So that's where that synergy going forward and that chemistry between our mids and our forwards, like if we are going in small, you need to be able to provide them some space. And they started to do that in the last quarter, as you mentioned, probably a little bit too late, but they sort of let Fritch and Cozzy have that sort of space to run into. Uh, right, I think Ben Brown was on the bench at that point. So, you know, finding that right mix there and, and, and sort of adjusting it to what the temperature of the game is at that point. But no, we haven't found the mix, and it's. I mean, we've how much, how much have we talked about tonight? Like lots. Oh. I, I don't. I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if they're going to change it for Port. I think you're right. I think Goody will, will want to stick to his system. I think it's it's uh, whether he goes back twelve. I don't know. Like you think about the Port defense and 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 like the personnel matchup there, where where they sort of like some of those matchups are going to favour us, and whether they whether they elect to bring in an extra tall. But with Jackson and Gorn both back in. You know, you probably don't see Wiedemann coming back in unless they opt for another tall, but I don't think that's probably going to happen. Yeah, the thing is with Port, I mean, they've got an actually pretty tall defensive line. I mean, you've got the likes of Cleary and Jonas and players like that. So I think being able to stretch them small would be beneficial, but also trying to, I mean, a lot of teams start to come in tall in their defense line because they're able to intercept from the way we play. So that's what, you know, teams are starting to do, and we've got to be able to find ways around that. So... You know, it's so it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I mean, Wiedemann, Look, I don't think he was doing much wrong when he was playing. No. Probably a bit stiff to be dropped, I think, for the game. I mean, obviously Jackson coming back, but they wanted to stick with the small lineup against the Cats, which is yeah, it just poses so many different variables. It's not funny as to what is the right mix. A lot of people liking the smaller setup, but the pressure needs to be there. If it's not there, then we're gonna have a long day at the office, which we saw on Thursday night. Changes. I think it's it's lorry time. I think yeah. I think lorry <laughs> comes lorry in time. lorry time. Now <laughs> we're gonna put that on a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> lorry time. So it's got to yeah. I call him Bill. <laughs> they call him Bill. I'm pretty sure. Oh, yeah. that is his nickname. And yeah. he's got. I think he's got. The, he's rocking the mullet. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he's got, yeah, yeah. Um, um, most of them are these days, aren't they? <laughs> well, that's. You got to think who he comes out for, and it could be just as simple as a Clary for Laurie's spot. Um, and then we stay relatively small. Um, but then again, like you're saying, a lot of you've spoken a lot about Dunson, what he could bring. I mean, Dunson, obviously not the greatest field kick, but we've actually seen him do okay. But his actual ball winning, when he has come into the AFL side, might have been hampered because Clary was actually playing the same role. So this could be a potential chance for Dunson to really step up and you know do what Wiedemann has done when he's come into the side. Um, plays role, but obviously the role will change when Clara comes back. So, yeah, I think whatever happens, it's going to happen for a reason. I think, I honestly reckon it's it's lorry time, as I said before. Yeah. And I think, yeah, probably the that for Clary if Clary doesn't pull up, I reckon. Yeah, uh, look, I'm, I agree with you. I think the only other thing would be if they bring in Dunstan for Clary as well. So I, I I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if they drop Bedford for uh, Laurie. I, I, look, I'm just I'm just saying from the last couple of weeks, I don't I don't like it, but I'm just thinking that if they want to go for like for like, I can see him going Laurie for Bedford and um, Dunstan in for Clary. Like Laurie and, and Dunstan both had 29 uh, touches in the VFL. Uh, Laurie kicked the three, so both got the ability to sort of you know move through the center if they need to. But we mentioned we've got lots of other people in the side at the moment that could easily rotate through the middle. So I wouldn't be surprised if they want to do that. Like uh, when, 
Melksham would probably be the only one who, you know, since coming back from there, well, they've opted for him in in the past, haven't they? Like to come in and fill a role, whether he you know, comes in and plays a defensive role on Aaliyah Aaliyah or something moving forward as well. So, I don't know. That's a bit of a left-to-field one. But, no, I'd be pretty safe with Laurie coming in and maybe Dunstan. Uh, so, it's one to two changes. I can't see him making too much more of a statement from that. And, yeah, all right, margin, mate. What are we looking at? Well, first of all, I want Bedford to stay in because of where the game's been played. Um, and also, I'm missing the hell out of Trent Rivers, what was my partner's favourite player, um, to go with Gussie. And we're missing those calves. <laughs> we need the calves. Where's the I, other T-shirt? I saw, I, saw, <laughs> I saw Jack Sinclair's calves. I'm like, hey, Trent Rivers is better. Get him back. <laughs> but no, nah, um, yeah, I think you're, you're pretty close. And I think, yeah, we'll get the right mix and... I tell you what, the Malcolm with the Leah Lear could be a real sneaky left of centre pick. I mean, that would be interesting seeing Malcolm and May back in the same side. But anyway, um, margin, jeez, uh, oh, 21 points, Melbourne's way. Yeah, I'd, I'd go, yeah, maybe tick over, go 27 points. But no, it'll be, be a big game. Looking forward to it. Uh, every game's a big game for me. All right, so all right, well, that does it for another week. Thanks for joining me in the shed, mate. Sorry that your toes are a bit to fall off. It's, we're probably sitting at about, I don't know, three or four degrees here out in the uh, out in the Yarra Valley, and it's uh, yeah, it's pretty chilly out in the shed. I've got to invest in some some sort of portable heating. I thought it'd be too noisy for the mics, but we just had the uh, what the hammers going next door. We've had the native bird calls. <laughs> We've had a bit of it all, but no, nah, it's been good fun. Yeah, it's been good in the snow. Yeah, it's been great, mate. No, nah, that's it. All right, well, don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite podcast platforms you can like rate or review us on any of those as well shoot us an email at attention to g oh there you go attention to d (laughs) attention to detail pod at gmail.com you can find us on all your favorite social media platforms a big thank you to our sponsors in hop and brewing in lillardale and also valley electrical group as well has that powerpoint going in your in your garage oh beautiful just charged up (laughs) charged up the uh ryobis ready to go very good uh, very good. So, no, big big thanks to those people there. Most of all, big thanks to our listeners. Thanks for listening. But most importantly, go the D's. D's.